Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And we're here for the Invested Podcast where we are actually really deep explorers into the world <laughs> of investing, um, where we're kind of going after the gold, huh? We're going Ooh. after the gold. That's really what we're doing. We're, we're exploring for gold. What is the gold? gold? What kind of gold, gold are you exploring is, for? It's financial independence and having the money to, and to having the skill and knowledge to know that you don't need a ton of money because you can always make good returns on your investing. I like that. You don't that. need a job that makes you millions of dollars because you're going to get really good returns on your investing. And going for the gold and exploring means that we are going after, wow, what, what, what was that the Spanish explorers went after? Like the city of gold, right? It was like this El Dorado. <laughs> they were going after El Dorado, <laughs> this mystical city of gold in the new world. Hmm. And, and we're going after an El Dorado. What we know it exists. This is, the, this is the best part. The Spanish just thought it did. But we know it does because we've had explorers ahead of us who found it. We got Ben Graham and Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and Manish Prabhai and Guy Spirit and, and hundreds of others who have found this amazing city of gold and who have po- popularized the fact that it exists by their books and their their lectures and their letters. And we've learned from them and thousands of us have also gotten to that city. And so what makes it so mystical is that the rest of the world doesn't believe it exists. This is the fun part about this. The rest of the world of investing does not believe it's possible to get a high return on your investing with low risk. That's just impossible. And Mm -hmm. because they think that, they leave the door open for us in some very interesting ways. Um, Primarily, they leave the door open for us to find wonderful businesses that are on sale because they don't think things go on sale. They, the very, the very philosophy of investing, the very, the very structure of, of the investing theory says that it's impossible to beat the market. You can't beat the market and you can't get a high return with low risk because high returns only come because of luck and taking a lot of chance and risk. And, um, and that's because price and value are always the same in the market and I mean, the, the vast majority of the, of the investors in the world are taught that and believe that. And even if they don't believe that, they act like they do. And they go out there with these diversified funds. And when something starts to go down, they all sell it off. And then we get an opportunity to have great returns at low risk. So hmm. that's what this podcast think, is all about. I think also El Dorado. The, the, the El Dorado <laughs> is to be somewhat metaphysical within ourselves and the experience and the process and the fun of learning, investing and practicing investing. And for me, I'm, I'm just not that motivated by the like external stuff, although it's certainly extremely important. But I feel like having having both sides, having the yin and the yang is the real city of gold. Well, both sides, yeah. Does that make sense? But meaning yeah, like the sure. experience and the result, both are important. Yes. But if you're going only for the result and you're like planning to suffer along the way, you probably aren't going to reach that result that you want, right? So I certainly wouldn't have. I, There's I no way either. I would no. have gotten there. There's no way. Because 
I just don't do suffering well. <laughs> I just don't. Neither do I. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I've been so bullheaded in living my life that I only want to do the things that I am passionate about, that I love doing. And when I stop loving them, I stop doing them. Mm-hmm. And I find I find where this is taking me, you know, where where's my dharma going from here, right? I'm 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 in an eddy, I'm going around in circles, you know, to go back to river jargon. I'm going around in circles on this river, I'm going nowhere and I need to change. And this is this is suffering to me is that I'm not experiencing joy in my life. And I'm serious if if this process of investing of seeking out high returns with low risk, if that wasn't joyful to me, if that wasn't fun to do, oh my gosh, I would have never pursued this. I would have never stayed with it. Yeah, no chance. totally. Because totally. I, I thought it was going to be a horrible thing. I thought it was going to be this. I really thought I was, I was, when I started with my apprenticeship with the wolf, I, I, I thought this was going to be miserable. Why did you and think that? I thought you've never said that before. And I'm kind of surprised because you love numbers and spreadsheets. Well, I didn't know I loved the men. <laughs> <laughs> you've only met me since then. That's right. <laughs> so you didn't remember, you don't know me back when I was a river guide, you know, and before that I was, uh, I was in the army and I mean, numbers, not uh, honestly, uh, not at all. And, um, I didn't know I had any kind of aptitude for that. I, maybe I don't even have an aptitude for it. Maybe all that happened was I really liked the process and because I do and numbers are part of it, I started liking numbers. I don't know, Yeah. I don't, which is chicken and which is egg, you know, yeah. but I do know that when I went to uh, this guy's house at, in the wintertime, I thought, you know, this is going to be a great place to go get warm instead of living in Flagstaff in my bus in November. <laughs> so it wasn't that, oh, I'm going, you know, I mean, I've done some really crappy jobs in my life because I had to. And and uh, I didn't. And that's kind of formed my view that it's just, this is more painful than it's worth. I mean, this isn't to take anything away from the medical industry or the medical appliance industry, but I got a job in, in, in the winter in San Francisco one year, and I lived in this derelict apartment with hookers queuing up at, literally underneath the steps, which is where their pimps would pick them up. And upstairs, there wasn't a stick of furniture. I was living in a sleeping bag renovating this guy's kitchen. And you know how much I know about kitchen renovations. But you were doing the renovations yourself? Like in exchange to live there? In exchange to live there. And I'd knock down these lathe plaster walls, which means the whole air of this place was full of 100-year-old plaster that wouldn't disappear. And I, yeah, it was, it was funky oh, and then I, I go downstairs that part of it i remember you, you took me by there in san francisco <laughs> but i didn't remember the part about you fixing the kitchen <laughs> yeah i think it was like divisadero and fell or something there's a bank of america down the road there that got robbed very famously once and <laughs> i mean it it wasn't the the great part of town that it it may have become since because it's fairly near haight ashbury and Haight yeah, has become a it was like really a pretty nice so. area and i was kind of like um <laughs> i guess this was yeah. different back then <laughs> Yeah, exactly. In the land of bazillionaires in San Francisco these days. No kidding. I'm sure it's gentrified massively. But at the time, I would go downstairs and there was the orthotic shop that I got hired into to work um, in the wintertime as from uh, one of the people I took down the Grand Canyon. And I'm telling you, man, that was that was tough. I mean, it was, you know, army green walls and, and 
three Russian guys who were Russian immigrants who were 80 years old and knew how to do artificial legs. And I mean, I was down in there. Uh, it was, I, this was not a passion of mine. I can tell you that mm -hmm. it, was hard, it was a hard job. And mm -hmm. I just really appreciate though, the guy named Walter Cognac who let me work there because I was so incompetent. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how to do anything. I, I didn't learn much in shop in high school. I mean, he, the first thing he gave me to do something with was a leg brace. He said, here, drill the holes in this. So I knew enough to tap it with a hammer. What I didn't know is that when you're going through steel, um, using a bench uh, drill, you, you have to drill a pilot hole, a small hole, or the the steel is so sticky or some, some I don't know if that's the word for it, that when you put a big drill bit through it, it'll stick. Hmm. And this the drill press is going 2,500 RPM, right? 2,500 revolutions per minute. And when it sticks, that means that the leg brace starts going 2,500 RPMs per minute instead of... And if you're holding it, bad things happen. And that's exactly what happened. I put it in a block. I ran this, this quarter-inch drill through it. It stuck, and it took that thing and spun it into my hands. Oh, God. And I was instantly bleeding from every part of both hands, it's just, or one hand, rather. And uh, Walter looked at me like, ah, we're, we're starting at the bottom here. Okay. <laughs> he pointed to the restroom and said, there's some Band-Aids over there. <laughs> So I've done some bad jobs. I've done now these are not bad jobs if this is your dharma, but this is definitely pushing me out to do something else mm -hmm, for sure, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, and so yeah. Uh, so the, the spreadsheets and, and the has, numbers just started to come pretty quickly. You could feel it. It came. It came because I started to understand that this was about me more than anything. Mm. I, I'm, I'm only starting kind of after all these years, kind of coming to realize that with working with you on this. And I'm starting to see things from other really good ruler investors that point in that direction. That I just never really saw before. I'd read the words, but you know, it wouldn't really impact me. Like what? And I was just, well, Lee Lu was just talking about what Lee Lu, of course, is this very, we've talked about him here mm -hmm. before. Um, he's the only guy Charlie Munger ever gave any money to, mm -hmm. to invest and, and, um, it's a phenomenal investor, 30% compounded returns. And he said, from his point of view, investing is simply learning about yourself. I thought you'd really like I that. I do. It's about learning about yourself. It's about learning about what you love. It's about learning what you're really yeah. good at. It's, <laughs> it's learning you? what you're bad at and figuring out how to compensate and not make yourself your own worst enemy. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And he said when you and you do that and then investing is just magnifying that. Mm. I thought that was mm. interesting. Right. You know, I'm guessing that he means that once we learn about this is what I am really interested in, then investing is just digging deeper digging deeper, going deeper and going wider, going mm -hmm. deeper and going mm -hmm. wider. And you just keep doing that. And that's what makes it such a journey. It's like, man, alive. I'm down the road, gosh, uh, 1980 to now we're talking 40 years, mm -hmm. 40 years now. And, um, it's more fascinating than ever. Yeah. It is more fascinating than ever. I, I could never see stopping this. It's just too much fun. <laughs> So anyway, that's what, that's we're, what doing. we're doing. You know, that's what we're it's doing It's interesting here. that you say the Lee Lu. Where did you find that? Or maybe you don't remember where Lee Lu said that. Wow. I got a recording of him speaking to Columbia University students. And I think it okay. was on that. Um, 
I just have noticed more and more as I'm kind of getting to the point where I kind of understand the nuts and bolts well enough um, that I'm just noticing how many great investors don't talk that much about the individual process of what they do. They talk much more about themselves and their own foibles and their own um, view on life and the wisdom they've found through it. Like just sort of, it's so much more experiential and self-reflective than I guess sort of the stereotype is about investors. Like, and the guys on wall street, exactly. they, they don't, they don't do, do that. that. No, that's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I just see such a stark contrast there between those types, the speculators, as you would say, and the, um, the long-term investors. I think there's something about being long-term that forces you into really thinking deeply about the future, about how well you can predict about who these people are, are going to be stewards of your money. It's just, it really lends itself to being a much deeper thinker than a, a quick choice kind of person. And, and I like just that. to make me think about sort of the, the moral qualities of capitalism versus the sort of, um, I don't know, the immorality that people point to with regard yeah, to capitalism. Yeah, that's a really interesting You, you see a lot of that, right. You see a lot of that right mm -hmm. now and for good, for good reason, right? You've got Elizabeth Warren out there really pounding at the evils of capitalism and how she wants to, to fix it with regulation and law. And um, unfortunately, that kind of thing tends to stymie both sides of capitalism. You end up squishing down the the really good side, the really moral side. And I'm just thinking that we occupy a space as investors in capitalism that um, would be difficult to impossible in a socialistic environment. And that space is a moral space. It's basically saying, look, we've got entrepreneurs there who are coming up with this wonderful idea. We have people who are ready to go to work on that idea. The workers mm -hmm. want to do it. Um, what we're missing is capital. We need capital in order to make that mm -hmm. happen. And the kind of capital that we need is long-term capital. We need capital that believes in what we're doing, that is looking forward to having this thing, this new thing in the world 20 years from mm -hmm. now, and to benefit from it then. And uh, unfortunately, what Wall Street has created is is sort of the evil twin, yeah. which yeah. is, you know, how are you doing for me this next yeah, three months? Yeah, yeah. And, and that creates all sorts of, of aberrations in the moral code of what CEOs are trying to accomplish mm -hmm. out there. And so you end up with CEOs like, you know, a, a Steve Jobs and a, an Elon Musk and a, you know, a, well, you know, a, a Schultz at, at Starbucks. And these guys who have this long-term vision, um, I mean, the guys, the guys at, uh, Chick-fil-A, right? The, the, uh, Truett family, long term vision of where this is going and a moral vision of what this can be and a moral code that fits in there. And you don't have to agree with them, right? I mean, you don't, it's not about that. It's about them walking their talk mm -hmm. and being surrounded by people with money, even, even a thousand dollars who are supporting that vision and want to see it in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the space we occupy as ruler type investors, as Buffett style investors. We want to build, we want to see things grow that we want in the world. And that's, to me, it's such a, it's such a moral impulse I to support that. I completely agree. A thousand percent. It's entirely about lifting your own 
values up and saying, yeah, I'm going to stand behind this. And those values can be reflected in capitalism. (laughs) And yet, because of so many people doing it the other way, we don't have that view out there of investors. And I think that's, I mean, as somebody who, you know, lived most of my life with a negative view of it, um, because I didn't understand what you did at all. It, it it's unfortunate it's just really unfortunate and i'm yeah, glad that we're I mean, talking it about it at least into... we're sending like some vibe into the world letting people know and i know everybody listening yeah. is telling people they know and their families and and friends about what investing really is so we're making some kind of a dent but um and i know buffett's trying and he and Jamie Dimon wrote that great op-ed in the Wall Street Journal last year. Like people are putting it out there, but I haven't seen a lot of changes. There's kind of these like surface oh, changes, like the new, yeah. I keep calling it new. It's not really new anymore. The like effort to promote um, ESG uh, initiatives right. in companies like BlackRock just announced they're good. They're going to push clients towards um, ESG oriented indexes. And that's supposed mm-hmm. to be like a great moral victory, I think, but I don't really get it. <laughs> like you, yeah. you guys still don't know what you're buying. They still don't know what you they own. What like <laughs> when you're owning a exactly. hundred companies, you cannot know all of them. A hundred. How about a thousand? Yeah, or a thousand. And it's, just it, and I mean, it, I like I like the idea, really but it's it to me, it's such a PR push. So it is, and it just drives lip yeah. service. And this is I, I Buffett and, and Munger talked about they this did uh, at the meeting that bit. we were at. Mm-hmm. Was that the last one about how Berkshire is being pushed to join into this? You know, this report that they would create, and and Buffett was just like, you know, we're not going to push yeah. paper. You know, to pretend we're morally sanctified. Yeah. We're not going to spend time on that, right. basically, which right. totally right. agree with. Yep, me too. So, so that's yeah, okay. So that's the introduction oh to what we do here at the podcast. <laughs> if you haven't joined us before, um, so if you haven't joined us before, we get a little off track sometimes. But you know, that's part of the charm. <laughs> so we were yeah. going to play one of our fantastic listener questions. Should we go ahead and play oh, that, we should. Dad? Yeah, we should. Yeah. All right, it. guys. Go for it. We're going to play go. this question from Toby, and um, and then we'll talk about it a little bit, and then we'll really get into it next episode. That's the plan. And by the way, Toby, I'm excited that you're going to be in the San Diego workshop, because that's coming right up, and we'll see All you right. there. Here's the question. This is, by the way, a series called Quick Questions. <laughs> hey, Phil and Danielle. This is Toby from Melbourne, Australia. Phil, I'm really looking forward to attending your event at the end of January in San Diego, uh, 2020. So my question is, what are the resources that you're using to locate events and to get information on events? So something major like, um, like Boeing at the moment is a bit of a standout. And I believe that's probably reality because it's um it affects people's lives and people have lost their lives but for other companies um where the information is not in the news all the time where are you getting your information and then where are you getting the information when you really want to go into depth about those events thank you very much 
Thank you, Toby. Yeah, and dang, thanks for coming from Australia. I didn't pick up on that the first time around when I listened to the question. And so you're coming out from Australia and uh, and joining us. So that's great. I'm really appreciative of you taking uh, the time and effort to, you know, just really get deeper into this. So the question so is, what sources do we use to learn about less front page type of companies? So like he said, Boeing you know, front page all the time. It's pretty easy to find out about this ginormous event in which people have lost their lives and which people's lives are being affected in other ways. And, you know, that one's an obvious one. How do we find out about events um, in less front page companies? And maybe we should start by defining event for everybody who hasn't heard us talk about that before. All right, fire away. So an event is a short term, meaning, so in my mind, I think of it as like a six month to two year kind of situation. And you may have a different timeline. Um, I do. (laughs) In which a company is facing some sort of problem that is making its stock price go down. But in my opinion, as an investor, the stock price is going to go back up again once that problem is fixed. And the problem obviously has to be fixable. And I have to know how the company is going to come out of it. So if I can understand how they're going to fix this problem and that it is a short-term problem that they will come out of, then that's something that has pushed the price down, um, making it a good deal for me, the long-term investor. Okay, pretty good. I'm going to simplify it a bit. I'm just going to say that an event is something that happens to either a company or an industry or the entire economy that creates a lot of fear. (laughs) And that fear is what drives down the price. (laughs) If there's no fear... Then you can have all the sort of front page articles that you want about what's going on with this company in a, in some negative way, but it's not an event in my book. An event is literally an opportunity for us to invest, and we buy fear. That's what we buy. So um, I need I need to see where the fear is. And you're smiling like, no, I don't know. No, it's fear. That F E A R. Yeah. Fear. I don't, I don't buy it. I don't buy that there has to be this, this great fear level. Like the example that you gave me back when we first talked about events and you probably said something like that. And I was probably like, what the heck does that mean? The example you gave me was that there was a company that made t-shirts out of cotton and cotton prices dropped because of the Arab spring and the South the South in general started planting cotton because they knew that they would be able to get a crop within a few years and the prices or sorry, prices went up. And so they were going to make prices drop because there would be more supply. And so this company um, had this short term event in which their stock price dropped like crazy because everybody was thinking, Oh, like their prices are going to go way up and they're going to have problems And you saw it and you saw that there would be cotton available to them and they would be able to drop their prices again and they would be able to come out of it. So that doesn't sound Mm -hmm. that fearful to me. 
that just sounds like okay. a straightforward short-term versus long-term perspective. Okay. So if you own a huge pile of this company as a fund manager, because these are the people that we are um, interested in having, having fear. <laughs> we want them to, <laughs> we want, in the abstract, we want them to have fear <laughs> so that they'll bail out. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, when this company, this is Gildan, yes, Canadian Gildan. company, and when they, and to the point of the question, when they came out very publicly and made statements, their CEO said very explicitly, we're going to lose money for this next mm -hmm. year. We're going to lose it. And we're not going to be able to make our projections at all. Then what happens in the hearts of the people who have put themselves on the line as analysts for a big fund to tell the fund manager to buy that stock, you know, six months earlier, is that they're in, they're immediately thrown into an, oh my gosh, situation. I have just totally screwed up. I didn't see this coming. I could get fired for this. I have put this fund manager in a position where... They're going to be very unhappy with me because they bought this stock at 44 and it's now at 40 mm -hmm. and they don't take that kind of thing lightly. And I am now yeah, scared. That could probably happen job. behind the scenes. Yeah. Yep. So that's what's going on. And then the fund manager also is there going, oh man, I'm going to get burned on this thing. I can't believe that analyst put me into this. And then there's some other guy from Goldman Sachs who wants my job, and this is a great way for him to get it because I just lost 10% of the investment in this thing. Um, really frustrated and angry about this, and I'm getting out. I'm totally getting mm -hmm. out. All right? Now, the reason that we got to have this emotion involved is because a lot of work on a lot of layers by a lot of people goes into a fund manager deciding, yeah, I'm going to put my money in this company. Mm-hmm. It's there. It's a almost a committee decision. Mm -hmm. In, in there most are a of lot of places. people involved. Yeah, and a lot of people involved, and now they're all wrong, right? They 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 should have seen the Arab Spring coming. It was all over the newspaper. Everybody's getting upset in the Middle East. It doesn't just happen overnight, and we didn't see it. We didn't react to it, and now we look dumb. And so everybody is afraid for their job. That's that's the main thing that's happening, is that this fear starts to impact, right? Now, if they don't do the right thing right away, then their fear could grow. And they know that from in the past, being in a theater, for, as an example, where somebody smells smoke and starts to get out of the theater and you don't go, you go, oh, I'm not worried about that. And then the theater burns mm -hmm. down and you've been through that experience and it's terrifying. And so you just go, oh, well, okay. We are out of here. The fear has to be enough to drive them out of an existing locked-in position um, so that they will, in fact, pull the trigger. And it's got to be sharp and pointed or they're not going to do it. It's, it's, You've got to reverse the momentum of this trade. And in order to do that, they've got to see that this is going to last a while. And, and, and by that, what builds the fear is that a while means this is where I think I go a little longer than the six months, although that, that might do it. I like to see like, this is going to last a year, whatever's going on there. 
because a year is infinity for these people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they don't think in terms of a year. If, if, thing, if a thing has gone into an uncertainty zone, which is the, the right word to use here, uncertainty about what Gil Dan's future stock prices might be. If it's gone into that level of uncertainty and it's going to stay there for a year, then I have no alternative than to just get out of here because I don't know what's going to happen. And I think that is deeply fear-based in my view. But I guess like, I mean, yes, like everything you're saying, you're giving a scenario in which people sort of talk about how they're scared. Is that, is that important? I'm not sure that's important to the event scenario, you know, like it could also be like an alternative scenario in which all these people who chose to buy Gildan sort of sit in a conference room and say, well, that sucks. Hmm, what should we do? Very calmly, no fear. Maybe we should sell it because otherwise we have to explain to our clients why we still own a company that's dropping like crazy and maybe we'll rebound in two years, but we're not really sure. As you just pointed out, who knows? Maybe it won't. And they all sort of very calmly sit around and go, yeah, let's sell it. Yeah, it's a good idea. All right. We feel good about that. Well, so you have the view, and this is not in, impossible. You have a view of these Wall Street as intrepid warriors <laughs> who, when faced with I a problem, I did not mean to give them that particular <laughs> lovely assignation. <laughs> I mean, I've got a couple of friends of mine who are special forces guys who 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 decided they wanted to to draw out a sniper in an Al Qaeda area to draw out this Al Qaeda sniper. So. Since they wanted to do it, they volunteered themselves to go be the target oh for the sniper. And they got on top of a rooftop and and the sniper started shooting at them. And they didn't realize it because they were being shot at by all kinds of other people as well and shooting back. And it was all noisy. And they got a call from the guys who were the counter sniper group who were saying, you guys stay down. You're getting shot at. And they didn't know it. They didn't know it. And so they dealt with this. I mean, these are actual intrepid warriors. And I'm sure there's people like this on wall street. They're like, they didn't lose their, their minds and freak out over emotion. They just like dealing with it as it was coming at them. And had they been in a board meeting, they would have been the guys who were like, okay, yes, we have this going on yeah. now. And certainly we should probably move our position now to be something yeah. else. Yeah. <laughs> but most people would be losing it. <laughs> ah, I'm being shot at. <laughs> I mean, Buffett does say, so, you know, you like to um, sell when people are greedy and buy when people are fearful. So he also uses the fear. Uh, he references fear as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I just like it as a at a category of what a category of the event. In other words, it's if I can't figure out why these guys would be afraid, then the reason this is going down could be completely rational. I don't yeah. really trust. No, them you're being right. Rational. The question, the question to ask on a checklist or something would be, what is the other guy? Why is the other guy selling to me? What is the other guy worried right. about? Why does he want to get out right. of this thing permanently forever? And yeah, and you have to know the answer to that. Yeah, you do. And I think really it's a good it's a good thing to be thinking in those terms um, because you, you want to sort of avoid um, buying into things that th- there isn't 
fear so much as an extremely good long-term reason why this is going down the tubes that any a robot, you know, investor would exit this position fearlessly because the facts have turned against this company long-term. Wait, you want to buy those companies or you want to not buy those companies? No, we don't want to buy okay. those. If a, if a thing is terminal, and that's what's real important is we want to make sure that this event, we can distinguish between events that are terminal and events which yeah, are temporary. Exactly. Okay, I'm going to stop you there. Let's come back next week and play Toby's question again and actually answer it. And, and try to yeah. answer it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until then. Thanks, everybody. Go play. Bye. Hi, guys. Thanks for listening to Invested. If you enjoyed this episode and you want more information, including show notes and more episodes, visit us at investedpodcast.com. There's a special offer waiting for podcast listeners to attend my three-day investing workshop absolutely free. So just head to investedpodcast.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoyed it.